Hello and welcome to another episode of Political Agenda brought to you by New Narrative with me, PJ Thumb. I am wearing a red and black party shirt sitting in front of a big bookcase and my pronouns are he, him. This podcast is brought to you by New Narrative, a movement for democracy in Southeast Asia. And if you'd like to join our movement, please do go to newnarrative.com slash join or to donate, go to newnarrative.com slash donate. Today, we're going to be talking about Singapore's reserves and it's more broadly, it's uh, the government's financial policy. And we have with us Leong Man Wai, who is the nominated non-constituency MP for uh, the Progress Singapore Party in the Singapore Parliament. Man Wai began his career in 1986 with the Government of Singapore Investment Corporation and subsequently became a very successful investment banker and was previously managing director of OCBC Securities and is currently chief executive officer of his own private equity firm, Timber Capital. So he knows a lot about uh, foreign reserves and how to invest money. And we're really glad to have him with us here today to talk about our uh, government's reserves. Thank you. Thank you, PJ. Yeah. So uh, to, to start off, you know, I think this is uh, the reserves are like a really, really complicated issue. And most Singaporeans, I think um, we conceptually understand the idea that reserves are savings, but it's a lot more complicated than that isn't it? How would you, what's some ways in which Singaporeans could, uh, can easily understand the difference between their savings in the bank and the foreign reserves of the, of our government? Mm, actually, I, I think uh, essentially it's the same. Only thing mm-hmm. is that the, uh, the reserves is under the management of the government, mm-hmm. but whatever reserves that the government has accumulated over the years, it is actually the hard savings of the Singaporean. The savings are converted into foreign currencies through the operations of the Monetary Authority of Singapore. Uh, and then that becomes our national reserves. So essentially, uh, it is actually the savings of the Singaporeans. The Singaporeans should consider this more or less like their own savings. Only thing it is under the management of government government and uh, and uh, actually singaporeans should uh, should uh, ask the government why such reserves are not being used more proactively to improve the welfare of singaporeans okay so i think there's there's two key things two two key differences that you we might you might have highlighted there mm-hmm. um, the first is that there are savings but we don't know much about how they're being used we there's no there's yes. not even yes. some one authoritative number that's published. You have to piece it together from different places, right? Yes, yes. And and that seems to me to be um you know that that seems to me to be wrong because if we're if it's our savings, our money, uh, we wouldn't hand our money over to say a bank and then the bank never tells us you know or some sort of investment trust or whatever a banker is supposed to invest it on our behalf and then the banker never tells us how. They use the money and how much money there is. And yeah, then all you will that. sue him. You will sue him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I think the second thing is that when we talk about savings, it's really important to, to recognize that savings is not an unqualified good thing in that more savings means better, right? Because by taking money away from um, what we spend today, it means we are investing less today and putting that money into a bank account where it is not being, you or it generates an interest return, but otherwise isn't being used. 
So the analogy I think would be like saying, okay, I'm going to take all my salary and put it away and I'm not going to buy things like uh, a bed, for example. Yes. I don't need a bed. I can just lie on the floor, yes. right? And yes, you save the money and you get the interest return. But 20, 30 years from now, you're going to have a lot of back problems. Yes, yes. You could have been saved if you had yes. just invested in a proper and you And you can't do a proper job. So your, your, the, you, you, you will not increase your potential to uh, do better, you know, make more money, you know. Mm. Uh, and that, that itself is uh, really a very big opportunity cost. Not only you have a back pay, but you, you probably is preventing yourself from realizing your, your best potential. And that is the main, actually, that's one of the most important points we actually want to drive home when we talk about reserves in Singapore. Yeah. But I think before we go there, PJ, maybe mm -hmm. I go back to your first two um, uh, questions. One is that why Singaporeans are not uh, uh, so, um, um, do not have that, uh, uh, what you call that, the, uh, the, gut, um, that, the gut feel about um, that, that, that sense of these reserves belonging to them huh? is because the reserves are actually not uh, uh, directly they putting the savings into the bank. It is actually deducted from them uh, 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 right at source. First of all, the, the savings that, uh, um, we are, uh, that we are talking about is first of all the CPF savings, okay? So the CPFs are taken away from, from our salary, from our pay, uh, pay, paycheck every, every month. And so the Singaporeans take it as something that's already given to the government, but actually it's their savings, okay? And what the other component of the savings that we are talking about that turn into the reserves is actually all the taxes, okay, that the government has imposed on us. And then with the taxes, the government actually chalk up a surplus and then the surplus become uh, a kind of savings for the, for the country. And then that savings is put at MAS, the Monetary Authority of Singapore again. And then that savings is again converted into uh, foreign reserves. And that's how we accumulate our reserves. Uh, first of all, the CPF savings and then the, uh, the, the government surpluses. So repeat, the government surpluses are from all the taxes that the, the government has imposed on us, plus the land sales revenues that the government has made every year. So all these are actually the uh, combined savings of the, 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 the Singaporeans, and uh, they are later on converted into these uh, 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 reserves. And uh, although we have chalked up a substantial amount of reserves, unfortunately, the government has not come out to explicitly announce that we have these reserves. Okay, they, they, they only say that, oh, we have huge reserves and all that, but we cannot use them. They're only for the rainy days and they don't tell you what is the number. Although actually I've said in parliament many times that the government actually published the number, the figure about how much foreign, uh, how much financial assets, which is more or less a proxy for our national reserves that the government owns. And that number uh, as far back as 31st March, 2021, last year, March last year, was already 1.4 trillion Singapore dollars. So it's a very substantial amount. And this amount does not include the official foreign reserves under the MAS. Okay, the MAS have another set of reserves. So you combine all of them together, actually we have $2 trillion of reserves. Wow. Yeah, and, and the government never make any announcement on that. And our mainstream media also conveniently leave out 
all these important figures. And these figures are so important, and I'm sure you agree to that, that we cannot talk about the financial, we, we cannot talk about raising taxes in Singapore without first uh, ascertaining what is the financial position of a country. If you have so much money, then we have to think twice, thrice before we can, we, we should go for another round of tax increases like the GST. Right. So those are the two things I'd like to emphasize first before we go on to there's okay. an opportunity. There's a lot to unpack there. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, let's take the last thing first. Mm. The government, uh, obviously, there's a deeply ingrained culture of secrecy and they argue that, oh, if you publish this information, mm. then uh, speculators are going to use it to attack our currency mm. because the reserves are also used to um, prop up the value of the currency. Right. Uh, yeah. And and um, and so they argue, for example, you know, basically that this information, if we release it, is going to be uh, used maliciously against us. Right. Yeah. But on the uh, other hand, other countries. The point, uh, yeah. PJ, the point is, I think we don't need to dwell on that anymore because the government actually reported the figures. Right. So the foreigners will have gotten the figures already. Okay. So in terms of the reserves we use to protect or defend our Singapore dollar. Okay, it is the official foreign reserves under the MAS, which I say is not actually included in the in this report, which is the report by the government. Wow. Okay, on the one point four trillion dollars uh, worth of financial assets. Okay, this is a proxy to our national reserves. But on top of that, there's another sum of re- another pot of reserves under the right. MAS, which is about five hundred and sixty six billion dollars now, as of end of last year, which is actually used for defending our Singapore dollar. So the foreigners actually know how much we have. Only thing, it is not being made explicit within our own uh, country. So why, it, why does the government not then become clearer and make clearer how much reserves we have then? If, if, if they already published this, if the foreigners, speculators already know. They all know. They all know about this. Uh, I, I don't know what is the reason, but uh, uh, they have not... Uh, uh, explicitly, explicitly say anything about it. Even I pursue a number of times in Parliament uh, with the Minister of Finance to say that can you confirm that our reserve is this much, this, this much, uh, one point four trillion dollars? Uh, he has not responded. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I mean, well, it's very strange. They yeah. have a culture of secrecy, and yeah, very strange. And they have a policy if they if they know that the answer to a question is going to be bad, they just don't answer. Right. Yes. So yes. I guess that's that's probably it. But we have to emphasize again, and the PAP itself has also talked about how this is our money, and yet we don't know how it's being used. Yes. Absolutely. And we yeah. can't hold, you know, the the government accountable for what they do with it. Yeah. Okay. Let's. There, there was something. There's well. There's a few other things you mentioned. One is the the size of it, and you mentioned um, I think three big streams. One is HDB. One is taxes, and the last one is land sales. Uh, yes, uh, the main thing is the land sales, and then uh, the, all the other taxes. But of course, among the taxes, some of the, uh, uh, we call all these in, indirect taxes, for example. The, uh, besides the direct taxes, we have a huge amount of uh, indirect taxes in the, uh, in the, uh, the GST, COE, COE. Uh, COE, besides GST, GST, G, uh, COE. Uh, in the uh, ERP, uh, in the ABST, ABST, you know, the stamp duty, the additional yeah. buyer stamp duty, uh, uh, mates levy, you know, huge right. billions of dollars made from 
All these are imposed on Singaporeans. Okay. Apart from this, there are two very important indirect taxes. So nobody, usually people don't really think of these as indirect taxes, depending on whether you are business or economic strain. But actually, it is indirect taxes, and that is the high property prices. Mm-hmm. Okay, and the high healthcare cost. Okay, if you if you make your healthcare system very profit oriented, the healthcare cost will be pushed up, and when they push up, the Singaporeans will have to pay higher level of high, uh, healthcare cost, and this in turn become an indirect tax on the Singaporeans again. So in total, the Singaporeans are actually being burdened with many many indirect taxes already. Right. Yes, I think um it's been repeated many times that on a uh, and you can correct my uh, language if I'm wrong. The um sort of a, a a cash flow basis, the government doesn't actually spend anything on healthcare or housing. Um, in that it's basically Singaporeans paying for it ourselves. Um, I'm I'm not sure if I'm I'm characterizing it correctly. But, um, okay. but basically, the government doesn't spend um on sort of um, maybe maybe we should just skip. This I point I, I, yeah. I think the government probably. I'm I'm not so sure also, but I think probably from my uh, analysis and my investigation, I think probably the government didn't spend much on housing. Okay, right. because they they got the land very cheap, right, through the land acquisition act and all yeah. that. So even though they subsidized uh, some of it, but I mean they subsidized in the initial years, maybe the construction cost and all that, but. I think as a whole, probably housing has made a lot of money for the. Okay, for yeah. The let me let me explain what yeah. what I mean. Like sort of a net cash flow base in that yeah. what Singaporeans pay because you have to pay in advance for your housing, right? Ah, yes. And and it's BTO, yes. so the amount that comes in is already enough to pay for the housing, and the government oh. actually uh, doesn't have to subsidize housing, even though it's supposed to be. Um, you know, uh, HDB, for example, is supposed to be subsidized housing, but because mm-hmm. the money is paid up front mm-hmm. and then in regular mortgage, in a regular mortgage over the years, mm-hmm. uh, it actually doesn't need to pay anything. Plus the fact that, and this is nothing about land sales, because land sales are uh, between 30 and 99 year leases. They every year the government is repossessing land and reselling it again on a lease. So it's a it's a renewable resource for the government. Right, we tend to think of something you sell it once and that's it. You don't own it anymore. Yes, yes. Like you have a house, you sell it. It's not yours anymore. But for the yes. government, every year land is coming back in that they yes. sell again. Exactly. Right. So between those two, then it seems, especially for healthcare, there is a why aren't we spending more if there is so much money coming in? For example, the pandemic seems to have shown that there is a lot of underinvestment in healthcare. Right. There's uh, for many years, and a lack of investment in hospitals and a lack of hospital beds. Mm. Um, and it seems like from our reserves, we could actually spend more in and invest more in uh, creating more of this uh, social welfare infrastructure. Yeah. So yeah. is does has the government made clear why they're not investing and they're so rigidly putting all the money into the reserves? Mm. Actually, I do not know what is the answer to that. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, but for, for for the case of the healthcare, I think uh, uh, probably the government has spent a decent sum on healthcare, you know, uh, for the for the Singaporeans. Mm-hmm. But that sum compared to what other government uh, government spend in uh, developed countries, probably as a percentage of our GDP is very low. 
Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah, because we do not have a national uh, insurance, uh, healthcare insurance scheme, uh, which is pay off, uh, paid for by the government. We have our MediShield and all that, but actually all these are paid by Singaporeans as well. Okay. So in yes. terms of uh, healthcare, I think the government did uh, put up uh, a substantial amount of resources, but we do not know why uh, the government uh, didn't put in more resources. And also when they put in more resources, how do they actually price the uh, public healthcare cost? That's another thing because uh, from, the, uh, 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 from the parliamentary question I asked last year in parliament, the Minister of, Fi of Health, uh, uh, Mr. Gang Kim Yong at that time, seems to give me the impression. Originally, they didn't even want to answer my question. But later on, uh, uh, Mr. Gan, uh, Minister Gan stepped forward and answered the question uh, when I asked about how, what is the cost structure of the public health care cost? Uh, how do you price the public health care cost? He seems to give the impression that, uh, uh, or the information that uh, everything is, all the costs are factored in, including land acquisition uh, for, the, for the hospital, including building the hospital. You know, so all the costs are put in. So as a result, our public, even our public healthcare cost forecast may be more than what it should be because our property prices are very high, right? So you whether you should actually lump all the cost in when you consider uh, when you're planning for healthcare going forward, I think that's something that we will also pursue in parliament with the government. Yeah. Right. So this comes back to my earlier point about net cash flow. If, if, if we are fundamentally paying for collectively for all our current healthcare costs, mm. right? Then what is the role of government here in that, you know, you want to, to pool the healthcare costs, you want to um, subsidize it for the, the most, um, you know, um, what's, what's the word? Um, vulnerable Singaporeans. Yes. Um, but also historically, when you look at Singapore, until the late 70s, Mm. healthcare was virtually free and supposedly we were a poor country then yes. but we could afford and we had a very high population growth rate yes. um, but we could afford to have healthcare virtually free and yet somehow today we're supposed to be a rich developed country and healthcare costs have sharply risen uh, starting under Go Chok Tong you know when he was DPM when they introduced yes. a lot of neoliberal reforms yes. but have things actually improved for Singaporeans um, and is the government actually taking care of Singaporeans? And the problem with answering these questions is it's, it seems like it's a black box, right? What, you, what I'm hearing from you is that we don't know. Yes, yes, we don't know. And uh, uh, that is one big area that uh, we probably still need to ask for more information from the government before we can actually uh, 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 talk about new policies and all that. Yeah. But definitely the general impression, the general feeling on the ground is that our healthcare system was much more affordable and much more caring you know, uh, uh, for the citizens right up to about the end of the 1980s. Starting from the early uh, 1990s, the model seems to have changed. Maybe we call that a profit-oriented model. And this profit-oriented model coupled with the, the rapid uh, uh, population growth over the years had actually uh, turned out to be um, um, quite insufficient or inadequate for, for Singaporeans. Uh, many, 
Uh, of course, there are conflicting stories. Uh, the uh, we also hear the uh, we also got the narrative painted by the government that you know all the uh, technical indicators seems to show that our healthcare system is performing well. But on the ground, we are hearing from uh, we are hearing a lot of uh, 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 sob stories uh, from uh, Singaporeans that mm. uh, they are really their finances, their families are destroyed by a sudden. Uh, uh, healthcare cost burden. Yeah, so I think we we continue to need to uh, uh, tackle that. And even uh, Doctor Paul Tamaya has always been saying that uh, in Singapore is you can fall, you can uh, fall sick, uh, you can die, but you cannot fall sick. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. 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 I I think that's a really important point it, it, that we the government always says things are going well, right, mm. and that we're doing well, mm. but they refuse to give us the information to verify that it's going well. And that's yeah. what I don't get. If things genuinely are going well, then surely you will want us to to you have want all to the information. It. Yeah, yeah, you want, the, yeah. yeah exactly. you want to show off, right? Yeah, but no, yeah. it's all secrecy. Yes, and yeah. and that makes me. Uh, I think it makes all of us suspect things aren't actually going well. Yeah, we all know that, uh, PJ. That's why uh, <laughs> you know we have great respect for your new narrative. It is exactly the the gist of the whole matter. That we <laughs> need you. to actually complete the narrative in Singapore. Many narratives need to be completed because what the government is doing now is that they are giving information that only support a particular narrative. They, the narrative is not wrong, but it's not complete. Okay, so whether it's in, in the area of jobs, whether it's in the area of uh, uh, the National Reserve, whether it's in the area of the housing, whether it's in the area of the healthcare or the other cost of living, all mm-hmm. these are things that are very close to the heart of the Singaporeans and Singaporeans like to know more, And uh, but the uh, information is not forthcoming. Yeah. Okay, so let's look at some numbers that we do have and not to anticipate the budget, right? We're recording this 9th February, the budget will be out in uh, just yeah. under two weeks. Yeah. Um, but what we do know is that the, there is a planned 2% GST increase, which will increase the Singapore government revenue, revenues by about $3 billion. But the Sing government, Singapore government's own estimate for the last financial year shows mm. that unutilized investment returns is at least $19.56 billion, right? Yes. Because under the constitution, the government can utilize up to 50% of investment returns. Yes, yes. Uh, so there is another $19.56 billion that yes. just goes back into the into the uh, into the, the reserves. reserves. In the reserve. And then on top of this, we have 11.79 billion revenue from land sales for fiscal year 2021. Correct. So that means we have 31.35 billion yes. unutilized government revenue and they want to raise GST by 2%, which gives 3 billion. Yes. So <laughs> at a time where Singaporeans are struggling, right? Yeah, incomprehensible, right? Yeah. I mean, they keep saying the savings are for a rainy day. Yeah. What is more rainy than the pandemic? Then now. Then now. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, those are the figures that I have also put up in uh, Parliament at various times already. And uh, uh, we hope uh, by now Singaporeans had... had uh, catch those numbers by now, okay? So in a nutshell, that we have revenue. But government is, the government is defining or reinfencing the revenues and say that this cannot be used, that cannot be used, like the 19.6 NRI, uh, the net investment return that's not being used in the budget. They say, oh, we need to keep this for for future generation. 
Then the land sales, they say, that, oh, land sales is an asset converted. We sold the asset. So after we sell the assets, we cannot use the money because when we sell, after we sold the assets, uh, then the asset no longer exists and we have to save this up. Yeah, yeah, and like you say, it's not true because the asset at most is for 99 years and 99 years later, the, the money will come back. So the, the proper way to account for this is maybe you don't spend the, 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 the whole sum of money uh, in, the, in, in one year. Maybe you spend over a, a, a hundred years. Huh? But because mm. every year we are selling land assets, so every year that one hundred one hundredth of the land sale revenue will be added on to our spending. So in other words, you, you should be spending your whole uh, land sales revenue. Okay, and so, it's important to note most uh, industrial land is sold on 30 to 50 year leases, yes, not 99 yes, year leases. Yes, so it's yes. actually between two and three and a half percent, actually. The, yeah, correct. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Now, so, but I, of course, yeah. I think industrial lands are being sold at a much lower price than residential right. land. Yeah. Right. It, it's also my understanding that despite the, the drawdown for the pandemic, and the government's talked about like a 53 billion, there's a lot yeah. of big numbers. Yes. Um, yeah. Yes. But the, the 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 reserves actually increased even yes. though there was a drawdown. Yes, yes. Can you explain why? Because like one of the things that that I think um, has become very clear around the world is you know inequality, because mm. during the pandemic, yes. those of us who are who who work who have a salary, right, we've yes. gotten poorer. Yes. But those of those you know, in the world who live off capital returns have gotten more, much, much richer. Yes, exactly. And, and I assume sovereign wealth funds, there's an article in The Economist this week that uh, sovereign wealth funds have vastly increased as well during the pandemic. Yes. Can, can you, you know, as an investment banker, can you like in, in simple language explain what, why this is, why during a pandemic the rich have gotten richer and sovereign wealth funds have increased? Okay. Uh, the basically during this uh, pandemic period, what has been what has been done is that the uh, the governments of the world have been pumping uh, more liquidity into the system again. So it's just like the uh, global financial crisis happening again. You know, the the central banks are all supplying excess liquidity we call uh, into the system, and this liquidity, uh, a lot of the liquidity again went into the asset market. So as a result, it has pushed up the asset market. Okay. And because most of this liquidity are not actually spent, you know, it is being uh, it has been channeled into the uh, the asset markets. So that's why the stock market, the property markets, everything has gone up. In our in this case of Singapore, we also have the case of um, the situation of Hong Kong having riots in uh, 2019. So by 2020, a lot of the money is flowing in from Hong Kong. You know, after some thinking, the more and more Hong Kong people are putting money into Singapore. Uh, plus, uh, while 2020, there was this uh, serious uh, uh, trade friction between US and uh, China, and the outflow from China was a bit more uh, subdued. But in 2021, the, the flow of the uh, uh, capital out of China increased again. So these two big capital inflow into Singapore has actually pushed up our, our asset prices in, in Singapore. In a nutshell, that's the, that's the situation. Yeah. And uh, like you say, yes, um, it, the pandemic and all these asset prices, uh, uh, asset price inflation, inflation has uh, exacerbated this whole 
income and wealth uh, gap in the world and including our country. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So I think, okay, thank you. That, that I actually understood all that. Mm. And does, so it seems like even though the mm. government has spent more, you know, has, has this big drawdown on the reserves for the pandemic, mm. the reserves still increased. They could have done a lot more to support Singaporeans. Yes. You see, like, for example, a large part of our $100 billion COVID-19 package, right? A, lot, a large part of it has gone into the corporates instead of directly into the hands of the Singaporeans. If it has gone into the hands of the Singaporean, then the Singaporean will spend the money, right? So, right. but what they've done is that they pump this money, like the biggest sum is the uh, job support scheme. Okay, I think amounting to about $30 billion, they just put into the companies. And many of these companies, these companies, of course, are owned by rich people, right? The, the, the owners of the companies and all that. So actually, this is extra uh, uh, revenues to them, you know? So as a result, all this money ended up in the hands of these people who are in the first place do not require the money. Right, right. right? So just because, for example, a, a company yeah. has enough money to survive, it doesn't yeah. mean that it's paying its salary a fair wage. Uh, yes, the salary is uh, remains more or less unchanged or even sometimes the company may take the opportunity to lower the wages and the salaries of the employees. But right, anyway, during the, yeah, but during the pandemic, the government is paying the company for all these uh, salaries and wages, right? So and this seems to me a fundamental that, assumption yeah. that the, 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 the government looks at the economy in terms of businesses Mm. rather than looking at the economy in terms of individual Singaporeans. Okay, from the point of view of the economy, it's not wrong to actually uh, take care of the businesses. Mm -hmm. uh, but at the same time, we have to strike the balance between the producers and the consumers, right? So the businesses and the citizens. So you must actually uh, have a better balance. In Singapore, I think uh, probably the balance can be uh, better and towards the uh, citizens, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it seems to me that it's it's way too overbalanced in terms of businesses. Yes, um, yes yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and also the big businesses. You know, you know now the uh, the uh, minimum uh, global corporate tax is going to come in, and uh, according to some reports, you know there are one thousand eight hundred uh, big corporations in Singapore that are paying taxes. They are way below fifteen percent. Oh wow. 15%, not even our 17%, you know, which is already very low. So now the OECD countries have agreed that, oh, we, 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 we fix a minimum of 15% for the corporates to pay taxes. So if they pay less than 15% in Singapore, then they will have to pay in their, uh, in their home country or, or, or some, somewhere. Okay? So as a result, um, there's an opportunity for us to actually increase our corporate tax uh, revenue because all these uh, companies will have to relook at their taxes. But I do not know how the Singapore government would uh, respond to that. La. In their traditional way of doing things, probably we will still not get a big increase in uh, income from the uh, corporations. Yeah. But, but uh, now because of this uh, uh, global minimum, minimum global uh, corporate tax, uh, now we know that a lot of the big corporations in Singapore are, are actually not paying much taxes. Yeah. 
And you know, I mean, this is this is problematic because if they're not paying much taxes, but then you're pumping all this money in to support them. Yes. yes. Where does the money go? And how does it help ordinary Singaporeans? Yes, which right? is your point uh, at the beginning that uh, the, our reserve is so huge now, Singaporeans actually have to worry about how the reserves are being used. Mm. Yeah, because they, there's also not a lot of transparency in exactly how the reserves are being used. Like we've asked a few times in parliament uh, about uh, the detailed breakdown of the $100 billion COVID package. But other yeah. than a few big numbers, uh, uh, they didn't, uh, the government uh, till date have not produced a detailed report. Now, this is $100 billion, which wow. is equal, equivalent to one year budget. In fact, more mm-hmm. than a one year budget. So by right, in our opinion, they should actually publish details like what they have published for every budget. How did you spend $100 billion? Yeah. That seems perfectly reasonable. Yeah, it's our okay. money, as they keep saying. So, yes, yes. Yeah. Okay, so let me ask you some questions. Let me pin you down, both as an investment banker and mm-hmm. as a politician, right? Mm-hmm. We know, for example, the, um, the investment returns. Okay, mm-hmm. and, and mm-hmm. we should make again clear that no one's saying, no one's even discussing spend the principal we're just yes. about spending the returns. Yes, spending constitutionally, the, the government uh, has to put 50% of the returns back into the reserves so mm. that it grows yes. and spend 50%. Yes. Right? But of course, they've changed the constitution so many times. So, you yes. know, an average they can, of once they can a year. change it anytime. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so that's not an obstacle. But mm. then of the... the um, how much did, did we say again? 19.6 billion. Yeah. 19 point. I can't even yeah. imagine that amount of yeah. money. Yeah. Only yeah. 10% is actually spent on social welfare, education, and healthcare, right? The rest are spent, uh, allocated to statutory and trust funds. Is that right? That are okay. disembursed okay. over a longer uh, time? Okay. You, you see, we have 19 points. Uh, the 19.6 billion is actually the amount allocated to the budget. Okay, which is uh, under a term, under an item called net investment return contribution. And that is supposed to be 50% of the total net investment return earned by our reserves. So by definition, our total return, the total net investment return earned by the reserve should be double that. So it's around 40 billion. eh? So 39.5. Two billion, yeah. Right. So, uh, so half of that nineteen point six is uh, being uh, supposed to be used in the budget, but we have we have spoken much about nineteen point six. Nineteen point six billion is still uh, uh, plowed back into the reserves. So then, the next thing to consider is: Did the government actually use this nineteen point six net investment return contribution fully in the current year spending? Actually, they didn't too. Okay, they plow back again. They put the money back into some funds, you know, and then these funds get this and then disperse every year from this fund, small, much smaller amounts over many, many years. So for example, like our Pioneer Generation Fund, you know, they put, I think, as much as $9 billion into the funds already, the fund already. But every year they spend maybe about $300 million and then the $300 million is more or less equivalent to the amount of investment return they get from the $9 billion. So they are, again, they're not spending the principal. They're only mm. spending the interest. 
So as a result, if you make some calculation, what, what it means is that even the NRIC, the net investment return contribution, which are supposed to be allocated to the budget, they are not spent, they are put into the funds. And so you make a rough calculation. Actually, you add up all these funds. Every year, they spend a few percentages on the funds only, which is equivalent more or less to the, to the, to the interest and the uh, investment return they get from the fund, uh, funds uh, principle. Okay. And then when you look at the, uh, uh, all the NRIC that is spent every year, uh, on the social uh, spending, which is roughly about 10%, okay, which means that if uh, 19.6 billion is being allocated for the year, they probably spend about $2 billion on, the, on, on social spending. And then the other uh, 17 billion is being used for other purposes. Yeah. Right. And of course, you know, as, as, as I've argued before, some of these, uh, you know, like the Mendeka generation, Pioneer mm. generation, mm. these are also very political right because you're essentially i would argue bribing older voters and it's not even something i mean feel free to disagree uh, um but i um i think is a i think uh pj is a good move uh whatever yeah. that is the benefit singaporeans we are happy that the government yeah, is, but you can't do it on the basis of age because they are rich old people and they are poor old people you should do it on the base more on the basis of 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 need right and i feel that it's very discriminatory to cut off randomly you know, if you're born before 1950, you get all these. Mm, mm. If you're born January 1950, suddenly you don't get. You mm. know, so like I think there are far better ways of simply arbitrarily saying, oh, five years, you know, anyone be born before this date gets mm. a lot of money. Mm. And anyone, you know, you should at least look at it on the basis of need. But ultimately, I also argue, how do you measure need? Right, and it's better to uh, look at universal basic income for one thing, because ultimately it's very hard for a government to judge what you need or don't need, and we are the ones who should be deciding how to spend our own money. So if the government wants us to, you know, wants to give us a helping hand, just give us the money directly, you know, or not even don't just don't tax us, leave mm. the money in our pockets. We decide how to spend it. Because all this, like you know, Mandaka generation packages and all that, I I'm just very suspicious. I feel like it's it's you know it's a it's a legal way of vote buying, right? Uh, Shows up like one to two years before the election, you know. Uh, okay, I, I I won't go that far, but uh, <laughs> but I do agree with you. Uh, the, in principle, uh, we should leave more money in the pockets of Singaporeans. Uh, we have already chalked up so uh, large reserves. And uh, we have so many sources of funds. There's no need to continue to uh, uh, to extract more and more cash from the Singaporeans. Okay, they, we ought to uh, go slow on that. As for the pioneer funds and the Medica funds, they are they are good for uh, to help a certain group of Singaporeans. Although uh, I think there's uh, your your point of being not fair to those who are being left out is true. Uh, but I think actually I think more importantly is that. Uh, even the Pioneer uh, Fund and the Mateka Fund, uh, not enough is being used on the Singaporeans or the Matekas and the Pioneer Singaporeans who really need it. Mm. Okay? The, the general, the average Singaporeans, they will probably uh, benefit if they do not have uh, a special situation. You know? But we have come across many situations whereby 
uh, when when they have a real need, like for example, they have a a, a sickness that is a very unique to that particular individual. Suddenly, they he may not be covered, you know. And uh, so, like like for example, some people may want a certain kind of drugs, like cancer drugs and all that. But yeah. even for the pioneer generation, not all the cancer drugs are being covered. You know, so so while you say you have uh, uh, covered them, but actually it is a very general cover, and uh, definitely we found a lot of cases whereby uh, even the pioneer and the medical generations they are not being t- properly taken care of. If they are being properly taken care of, then I think it would actually relieve a lot of the financial pressures on the younger Singaporeans, mm. because if not, the younger Singaporeans were to pay for the parents, right? Right. So actually, I, I hope, you know, that to whatever reasons the government has put up the funds, I think uh, they serve a purpose. And uh, what I hope is that the funds, more of the funds are being applied to help the pioneer and the medical generation Singaporeans. Yeah. Right. We have, we're running out of time, but yes. I just wanted to bring up the um, Monetary Authority of Singapore Amendment Bill. Yes. And you gave a speech in there where you were very cautious about those amendments. Can you briefly yeah. tell us in again, in simple language, okay. why you're so concerned about the amendment to that bill? Okay, we are not uh, so concerned at uh, at at this particular at this moment, but we are concerned that it is a major departure from how we uh, operate monetary uh, policy in Singapore. It is a major departure, but right now I don't think we have we have so okay, much. What's reserve. what's the change that's proposed? Okay, the change is that uh, in the past uh, and now it still conti- it continues that the MAS are not supposed to uh, to buy uh, bonds or government securities directly from the government. Okay, because this is a standard practice in uh, uh, many countries as well. Uh, but of course, during the QE time, all these rules were taken away. Like. So the 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 government uh, buy uh, the government issue the securities to the central bank and the central bank pay the money to the government and the government use that for spending. So this is what we call deficit financing and this is what we call QE. Okay. So it, uh, there, there's a rule in uh, Singapore, the uh, Monetary Authority Act, the MAS Act, uh, that prevents that. There's Section Twenty Five Three. But in the new amendments uh, uh, in the January sitting, what the government did and what the parliament has passed is that uh, government asked for it and the parliament passed is the bill that amend the definition of the government securities by saying that there's a new kind of government securities, which is called the Reserve Management Government Securities, RMGS, used specifically for the purposes of accumulating reserves. This is exempt from section section 25.3. In other words, the Monetary Authority of Singapore can accept the RMG, RMGS for, for, uh, from the government and then can give assets to the government in return. So in other words, the government just issue an IOU again and, take, and the government is able to take the uh, assets from uh, MAS. And this is uh, a, a big problem because in the past, uh, potentially a big problem because in the past, the government cannot take the assets from the MAS unless the government has the, the cash, which is called government deposits with MAS to pay for the assets. And these government deposits are actually the uh, exact savings that we're talking about, the CPF saving, the surpluses and all that. So because we have all these surpluses already in the economy and they are not used for investment and the government actually convert this into 
uh, national reserves, foreign asset is good because GIC will be able to uh, uh, to generate a return for us. Okay, so we are we are basically turning our excess savings into some form of investment. But with the RMGS, we do not need the excess savings, and the government can continue to accumulate assets. So when they accumulate assets like that, what do what does it mean? It means that the MAS will need to issue Singapore dollars, increase the supply of Singapore dollars to accumulate the assets for the government. Okay, so you're no longer using your existing uh, cash or government deposits to buy the assets anymore. You are saying that I just give you an IOU, you MAS go and accumulate the reserves for me. And because the MAS have to issue more Singapore dollar, that potentially can be very inflationary for our economy. And that is, of course, harmful for our economy. So that is something that I'm, I'm concerned about right. uh, in the longer term. But as I said now, I don't see the government doing that at the moment. Is there a cap on the amount of IOUs that can be issued? Yes. At the moment, the, at the last parliament, we have approved 580 billion Singapore dollars. That is right. a huge is amount. You know? I also make that point in the, in yeah. the in the parliament, I say I can. I'm I'm prepared to give you the flexibility, but maybe you should think of an annual limit. Maybe say fifty billion, you know, every year, you know, instead of having a big limit of five hundred and eighty billion. And if you're going to accumulate hundred, two hundred billion dollars a year, then there's a big amount, and that is going to be very inflationary for the uh, uh, for the economy. Yeah. Um. Now, if if I if I uh, did my research correctly. Our mm. annual GDP is is only 500 about five hundred billion. Correct. Yeah. So effectively, they could draw out more than the entire entire country makes in a year. In an IOU, just. Mm. Um. Okay. That that has got to do with national income accounting. I'm not sure yeah. how that. Like for example, in 2020 and 2021, each of the year. MAS already accumulated about $100 billion Singapore dollars of foreign assets each of the years. You know? So that means right. in total, we have 200 over billion. And it is this amount of assets that the MAS had accumulated over the last two years that the government found that they have no, not enough government deposits to pay for it. So that's why in January setting, we have to pass a bill to allow the government to issue the IOU. Okay, so but having said that, how this $200 billion will go into the national, uh, the GDP is a national accounting issue. I'm not exactly sure how yeah. it will be uh, accounted for, but probably they are separate accounting treatment. So this, right, 200, okay. uh, yeah, this 200 billion or this 580 billion is not going to go out into our 500 billion, right. but, the net, but the net investment return we earn every year, that probably part of it at least will become our, uh, will become, uh, uh, will be accounted for in our GDP. Yeah. And I just pick up one thing is that, that you said they accumulated 200 billion mm. and then they, they basically, they, if, if I can put this in, in how I understand it, they yeah. spent, they went out and they got these assets. Then they found they didn't have the money for it. So mm. they had to create a law to allow them to pay it, to pay it off. Yes. <laughs> For for the, uh, the law, you see, the MAS, if the if the assets are kept in MAS, then it is within the uh, the uh, the power of the MAS. 
But if they want to transfer the assets from MAS to the government, although people will say, hey, MAS is government, well, what are you talking about? Many people fail to understand that. Yeah. Okay, I mean, you have to give it to our government, our government that we, we, have, we have some processes. And, and, and these are the standard processes of, of course, uh, properly run countries in the world. Okay? The central bank is different from the government. Okay. Yes. So, so if as long as we don't transfer the two hundred billion into GIC, which is the fund manager for the government, it's okay to park under the MAS. But because they want to transfer in the past, to transfer the government will have to pay for it, right? So, mm. but now the government can't pay for it, especially because of COVID. Government spend all the 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 the, the revenues they have. So they have no money to buy over the two hundred billion. So they say, "Oh, let's pass a bill," you know, and uh, and and so, so that they're weakening the divisions, weakening yeah, weakening the division, and uh, and is weakening the uh, financial discipline also potentially. Huh? But I think uh, mm-hmm. overall, because we still have a lot of uh, a huge amount of reserves now, and all that, and uh, I I don't think we are we are in need of deficit financing because we have spoke about we have spoke mm-hmm. uh, uh, you know um, um, just now you know that uh, there are actually many sources of revenue of the government. The government yeah. don't need to do back, uh, deficit financing. So yeah. as a result, immediately this RMGS is not going to be uh, a route uh, whereby the government see the need to do QE or whatever, but potentially. Um, yeah, right. yeah, correct. Okay, I mean, this all just comes back to our first point that, you know, they can do all this. It feels like a lot of sleight of hand accounting and, you know, uh, way above the head of most Singaporeans, but hugely important. And there's just not enough transparency and accountability. And I think it comes down to all of that. Yeah. You know, yeah. the government yeah. can do a lot of things, yeah, but it should be accountable and transparent. Yeah. First of all, the government should come out openly to say that, yes, every year we are reporting this $1.4 trillion. Next year, it's going to increase to $1.6 trillion because of this $200 billion. When, whenever the, the figure is being published, I think the government and the mainstream media should actually announce this as a Singaporean. Okay. Oh. Then after that, we from that as a with that as a first step, then slowly, slowly we talk about how the reserves are being accumulated. The whole mechanism that I spoke about uh, uh, in my speech uh, in Parliament, how the uh, how is it being managed? And then how is it being used? All this information should be made available to the Singaporeans. And the Singaporeans mm-hmm. ought to be uh, ought to understand all this because that is the finances that's owned by uh, there's the money that's owned by it's all our of money. Us. Yes. Our money, yes. Right. Okay, we're out of time, but thank you so much, Munmai, for coming on the show. Thank you, PJ. My really pleasure. Helpful. You've really yeah. explained a lot of things, and I think yeah. uh, you know we've really enjoyed having you on. So thank you very much, and good thank luck you. Uh, thank you. for uh, the next sitting of Parliament, which is yes. which you know we'll have the budget. So I hope yes. to hear more speeches from you then. Thank mm. you. So thank, thank you, you to you. Thank you to our audience as always for tuning in to Political Agenda. And uh, if you'd like to support New Narrative and join our movement for democracy in Southeast Asia, please do go to newnarrative.com slash join. Or if you'd like to donate, go to newnarrative.com slash donate. Thank you very much and see you next time.